Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Mapper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps give you nightmares. The story I'm covering tonight is a bit different than the typical true crime cases that I usually cover, but it's another one that really hits close to home for me. On the evening of June 4th, 2014, in Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada, a witness calls into the police to say that they've spotted a man walking down the sidewalk wearing camouflage and carrying with him a rifle and a shotgun in his hands. Not something that you see every day, particularly in Moncton, New Brunswick. And while this in itself definitely caused concern, no one had any idea that this man was about to carry out a massive shooting that would kill three police officers. 
only after a 30-hour-long manhunt and standoff would we learn the details of what led 24-year-old Justin Bork to carry out such a violent attack that terrified the community and the province as a whole. Before we get into the details of tonight's case, I wanted to let you know that this episode is sponsored by Man of Tomorrow, a YouTube channel for self-improvement and self-development. Hosted by an ex-cop, ex-fugitive recovery agent, aka a bounty hunter, and a USAF military veteran, Man of Tomorrow provides actionable advice that comes from a place of real-world experience. While the channel is mostly male-specific, really all people can benefit from the discussions included in the videos. Man of Tomorrow covers some really thought-provoking topics like understanding happiness and how to define happiness, how to claim success, and even how to invest for a better future. You can find Man of Tomorrow on YouTube by typing it into the search bar or by going to youtube.com slash manoftomorrow. I'll also have the link in my show notes. Stay tuned halfway through tonight's episode for more about why channels like Man of Tomorrow are so important, especially in times like we're living in now. All right, let's jump into tonight's case. Justin Bork was born on November 12, 1989 in Moncton, New Brunswick, which is one of the largest cities in New Brunswick, a couple of hours away from the capital of the province. For my friends living outside of Canada, New Brunswick is located on the east coast and it's more rural. Lots of forests, lakes, beaches, beautiful spots to spend a ton of time outdoors, which is what a lot of people from New Brunswick enjoy doing. Justin was one of seven children. He was the third eldest, and he had five sisters and a brother. It's reported that he grew up in a very strict, very Christian family. The Borks taught their children to value human life above all else. They strongly condemned things like abortion, euthanasia, and all forms of violence. And they were definitely against guns. Every Sunday routinely meant that it was time for the Borks to get dressed up in their best attire and attend Mass at Christ Roy Catholic Church. Justin was homeschooled his entire life. A lot of people think that this might be a reason why Justin was to become of what he was, but in speaking with Justin's siblings, the children in the family all said that they had a really good home life. There wasn't any abuse, they were healthy and nurtured, and they were a tight-knit family unit. The Borks were middle class, and with so many mouths to feed, many in the community who knew them found it impressive how they were able to get by without any big issues. They lived within their means, in a relatively small house, especially considering how many people lived there. The head of the household, Justin's father, Victor Bork, worked two jobs to ensure that they always had enough to get by. It's pretty impressive, really. He would work his shift at a dental office, then he would go home and change, and then start his shift as a parking lot attendant. Meanwhile, Justin's mother, Denise, would take care of the children, the homeschooling, the household, and all of the cooking. It's easy to see how the Bork family really had to all work together to keep things running smoothly. And I really don't know how they managed it all, especially Mother Denise, but it was really important for them to play an active role in their education by homeschooling because of their strong religious values. 
Victor would say, the public schools have good things, but unfortunately there's a lack of morality in the secular society, so we chose to move our children away from that. And fair enough. In my opinion, it seems like there are pros and cons to both homeschooling and sending your children off into the school system, but their choice was made from a place of love, and I think that's all that really matters. The kids would begin their homeschooling at 9 a.m. sharp, they would break for a short recess in their backyard, and then finish the day by 3 p.m. and be let out into the neighborhood to play with their friends. As a child, Justin was described as really funny, and he was known for his hilarious impressions. Apparently, he was quite good at his Bill Cosby impression, and in particular, his Beavis and Butthead impression. The fact that he even knew who Beavis and Butthead was tells me that although he grew up in a strict household, he wasn't completely sheltered from the world. He was still allowed to enjoy television, video games, and music that was a little bit more hardcore. And while his parents definitely didn't like it, they still allowed Justin to have his own interests. From everything that I've read, it sounds like Justin's house was the popular hangout spot for all of his friends. They would come over to play video games and even have dinner with the family. Many of them would call Justin's parents mom and dad. They always felt welcomed in the home, so they spent a lot of time there. When he got a little bit older, into his teen years, Justin began to really like heavy metal music and games like Call of Duty, just like any other typical teenager. He shared a bedroom with his little brother and still found a way to proudly display all of his posters of his favorite bands, like the heavy metal band Megadeth. And despite his parents' best efforts to completely discourage it, Justin was really interested in guns. When he was around 19 years old, he got a job working at Walmart so that he could save up money and purchase his own guns, including an M305 rifle that he absolutely loved. Those who knew him back then have said that his love for weapons was completely harmless in the beginning. He was a very responsible and serious sportsman. He took proper care of his guns, he made sure that they were properly registered, properly stored, and he would use them safely when he would go shooting. According to one friend, Tim Doucette, who worked with Justin at Walmart, he said, I've gone shooting with him and he was the safest person with a weapon. If you were not safe handling his weapon, you were never handling his weapon again. This is likely why his parents didn't really worry at the time, neither did his closest friends, who said that they would have described him as one of the most loyal and friendliest people they knew. This is why no one could have predicted the events that would happen just a few years later, when Justin would appear to go through some sort of mental break, becoming paranoid, full of hatred, and lethal. Going into his early 20s, Justin's behavior began to change, slowly but noticeably. For the most part, he continued to be the funny friend of the group, making everyone laugh with his impressions. But on the inside, the way he began to view the world was warped. He began to suffer from anxiety and restlessness. He would constantly worry about war and injustices that were happening all around the world. Justin's parents became worried because of this stark change in his thoughts, his demeanor, and his attitude, but particularly because he owned several guns. 
At one point, they even spoke with law enforcement to see what their options were because they were worried that he might snap and hurt himself. They hadn't even considered that he might hurt anyone else. But of course, the police couldn't do anything. Justin legally owned his weapons, and by all accounts, he was a responsible gun owner who followed the laws. In 2013, Justin bought a second weapon, and at this point, his parents basically gave him an ultimatum, get rid of the guns or move out of their home. He chose to move out of his parents' house and into a trailer park in Moncton's Ryder Park neighborhood with a couple of his friends. He quit his job at Walmart, and he began working at a distribution warehouse called Raleigh's Warehouse Limited. Now, living in Trailer 13, he had a little more freedom to do what he wanted to do, like drinking more and smoking weed. It was the kind of place where the group of friends would gather to get high, get drunk, play video games. It didn't have a whole lot in terms of furniture, but they didn't really care. It was a place to hang out. And while with his friends, he was still a jokester. But when he would get high, he would go off on political rants. Even though he was Canadian, he was very anti-Obama, and he was worked up over the idea of Obama getting reelected again. Let's put it this way. If he were American, he would have been hardcore right-wing. He posted jokes on his social media about the right to bear arms. He shared posts about how oppressive the Canadian government was, and he also began to make comments about the police and their ineffectiveness, to put it lightly. Then one day, he decided to simply shut down his social media altogether, which he was usually fairly active on. He canceled his Facebook account, which deleted all of his memories and photos with his friends. It was clear that something was going on, something was troubling him, and he was changing. And then, in the summer of 2013, there was an incident involving the local police in Moncton. Officers received reports of a man trying to break into a vehicle. Reportedly, 30-year-old Daniel Levesque attempted to steal a car. However, he didn't notice that the owner of the vehicle was actually napping in the car between his shifts. Levesque fled the scene, armed with a knife, and it took police about an hour to track him down. When they found the suspect, he was bleeding from several stab wounds. The weird part is, police still don't know how he received these stab wounds, if they were self-inflicted or if someone had attacked him, but he still had the knife in his hand and he refused to put it down when officers ordered him to. The suspect was shot by RCMP four times because he had walked towards them aggressively with the knife and ultimately he died. It would later be determined that the stab wounds were what ultimately killed him, and the gunshot wounds were not fatal. But Justin didn't know this, and he was absolutely furious over this incident. He would rant and rave about it for hours, saying that the police got away with murder. And this absolutely bolstered his distrust and even hatred towards law enforcement. He would spend Christmas that year with his family, and they all immediately saw a change in him while he was visiting. They would try to talk to him to see what was wrong, to try to get him help, but he didn't want to talk about it, and he definitely did not want help. And I think that's one of the most frustrating parts. You can't help a person that doesn't see a problem or want to help themselves. 
My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in True Accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes? Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors Fresh, Never Frozen meals that are also dietitian approved. No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon, because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day, because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious, with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. In early 2014, Justin created a new Facebook profile with a picture of him standing in the snow with a couple of his friends. He's wearing a green army coat, holding a gun, and he has about a dozen spent shell casings on the ground by his feet. 
and his newsfeed is once again filled with rants against the government. One post said, We live under their reign, under crownless kings. Unless the people take notice, fight, and destroy the 1%, the battle for the future is lost, because the new age of the tyrants is already upon us. Another one read, Free men do not ask permission to bear arms. On May 23rd, the Fredericton Police Service held a press conference where they announced the results of their investigation into the shooting of Daniel Levesque. They announced that all RCMP officers who shot at him were exonerated as none of their bullets had struck a vital organ and ultimately it was the stab wounds that killed him. According to Justin's friends, this announcement did not sit well with him. Their exoneration made him incredibly angry, and over the next two weeks, he would unleash more anti-police posts all over his social media. On June 4th, he posted a quote from Dave Chappelle that said, You ever notice a cop will pull you over for a light out, but if your car is broken down, they drive right past you? Then he went over to his parents' house for dinner. His sister asked him why he wasn't at work, and he stated that he had called in sick that evening. He avoided eye contact and then left to go buy ammo at a hunting store with a friend. The friend didn't really think anything of it at the time. They had bought ammo together plenty of times to go hunting. Then Justin went home and he prepared his guns. He grabbed some large knives and an ammunition belt, a pump-action shotgun, and an M305 semi-automatic rifle ordered from an out-of-country supplier. It was his prized possession. Around 7 p.m. that evening, he left his trailer with his two weapons strapped to his back. He was dressed in camo and wearing a bandana on his head. He began walking down the street, encountering people along the way who were terrified when they saw what he was carrying. According to one person he passed by, Justin said to him, Don't worry, I'm not out to kill civilians. I'm after government officials. It wasn't long before calls came in to 911 to report a sighting of a man walking down the road with weapons. But this was all a part of Justin Bork's plan. His trap had been set. Within 20 minutes, there were 12 RCMP officers who responded to the scene while Justin retreated into the wood line. Police set up a perimeter and attempted to maintain visual contact of Justin while waiting for the police dog services. They were going to be there in just a few minutes. But Justin, he wasn't waiting. He began to open fire on the police officers. And Constable Fabrice Gavudan shouted, hey, to get his attention. Justin then fired three more shots at Gavuron, all of which missed. However, as the officer was attempting to radio in the details, Justin fired several more times on the officer, who was hit twice in the torso from about 30 meters away. He died almost instantly. Justin then took off running until he encountered Constable David Ross, who was driving a police SUV down the road. Constable Ross fired two shots at Justin through his windshield, which missed, and Justin returned the fire with his M14, firing six shots back at him. Constable Ross was shot twice in the hand and left shoulder, with a third fatal shot being directed at his head. 
Constable Darlene Gokoin arrived at the scene of the shooting at approximately 7.59 p.m. when Justin opened fire on her vehicle. Audio caught on her dash cam heard her cry out, I'm shot. I'm shot in the head. I'm shot twice. I'm shot in the right arm. Somebody help me. At 8.04 p.m., Constable Douglas Larsh was plain clothed, but also wearing body armor and armed with a shotgun, and he responded to the scene. At this point, Justin was hiding behind the trees, and he fired four shots at him. Larsh couldn't see Justin hiding, and he was fatally shot in the neck as he tried to take cover behind his car. Within just 20 minutes of the first RCMP member's arrival, Justin Bork had murdered three RCMP officers and wounded two more. It was very clear who his target was, as he had even tried to avoid hitting near civilians. He was specifically targeting police officers. The north end of the town was completely locked down, and just after 10 p.m. that evening, the Mounties distributed the first photo of their suspect, as seen in his camo with his rifle in his hand. It wasn't long before Justin's friends and family identified him as the shooter. And that's kind of surprising to me, is that people who knew him were shocked that he would ever do such a thing. A 30-hour standoff would ensue. Justin continued to hide in the wood line, refusing to give up, and police had no other choice than to just wait, not wanting to have any more casualties. The media was able to interview two of Justin's friends while he was still hiding in the woods, and I'll play that clip for you now. If you could see your friend now, what would, if you could see Justin or talk to him now, what would you say? I'd definitely tell him to snap out of it. Like, I'd, if I can get a megaphone right now, if he's wherever he is, you know, as his friend, I'd be like, come off it, man. Like, you know, like, he's not like this. You know, like, whatever you guys seen, posted, trained, he was none of those things, okay? He's just a normal guy that really liked his guns, a little misunderstood, and he snapped. I don't know what made him snap. Um, something did for sure, and uh, I, I really hope this gets resolved soon because it really, this is scary, man. You know what I mean? What could he do next? You know, like, this was a joke once upon a time, you know what I mean? Like, he, he had guns, you know what I mean? He loved this stuff, but, you know, it was all harmless. You know, he goes and shoot bottles and cans. It was, it was nothing, you know what I mean? You know, he's like, good thing we're your buddy, you know what I mean? Just in case he went nuts. You know, that was a joke once upon a time. It's not funny anymore. Um, Justin, I hope you make it out alive. You did harm some people. That's horrible, man. I really feel sorry for those cops' families, man. That's, uh, that's, that's devastating for families included. Like, just uh, smarten up, buddy. Where do you think he is? Where do I think he is? He's nowhere where the cops think he is, that's for sure. He's, He's in, in the, the woods. woods. He's in the woods. Cops, he's thought about the whole heat signature thing. He's covered in mud. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? In the end, it took over 970 RCMP personnel from all across New Brunswick and Canada, as well as an aircraft with infrared detection ability, to bring this manhunt to an end. With the help of Transport Canada, who supplied the aircraft, police were able to find Justin's exact location in the wood line and force him to surrender. Now, I lived in Fredericton at the time, maybe an hour and a half from where all of this happened, and I can tell you that everyone in Moncton and the surrounding cities 
were absolutely terrified. Things like this just do not happen in New Brunswick or even in Canada. People were afraid that maybe he had escaped from the woods and was now on the run, but thankfully he was captured, eventually giving up, reportedly telling the arresting officers, I'm done. While in police custody, it was reported that Justin said he was actually proud of the fact that he had killed police officers. Justin said, quote, Well, honestly, I know this is going to sound really messed up, but I actually felt pretty accomplished. I know you probably think that's really sick, but, um, you know, it's just when you see what's happening through the centuries and we just compare what happened here, you know, it's just, it's sad. They might have had a wife and kids, but every soldier has a wife and kids, right? And it's all about whose side you choose, and they chose the wrong one. He was charged with three counts of first-degree murder, one for each constable that he gunned down. Fabrice George Gavidon, 45, Douglas James Larch, 40, and David Ross, 32, and two counts of attempted murder in connection with the officers who survived. Justin Bork pled guilty to the three counts of first-degree murder and the two counts of attempted murder, and in court, He took a much different stance on how he felt about his actions, and he apologized to the families of the slain officers. This is what he said at his sentencing. Been thinking about it a lot, and the families here. I'm scared. Hearing and seeing me on video talk like some arrogant pissant, as if this was nothing to me. I want families to know your husband's, son's, brother's, and friend's death. It does mean something to me. Everything I said was hatred, feeling sorry for myself, arrogance. Two to three days later, there's nothing good. He was referring to a time after the incident. No, nothing to be proud of. I'm not a soldier. I took the easy way out. I did nothing good, nothing to be proud of. I and you have to live with this for the rest of my life. Apology almost useless, but I am sorry. I can't say more than that. Justin Bork was given two concurrent life sentences for the two attempted murders and three consecutive 25-year minimum sentences for the three premeditated murders without the possibility of parole for 75 years. This is the harshest sentence given in Canada since capital punishment was abolished, which Justin absolutely deserved. His violent rampage left three wives without their husbands and six children without their fathers. The city of Moncton was terrorized and is still traumatized over what happened in their usually calm and quiet city. After the fallout, many people looked towards more gun control laws. Justin was a legal gun owner. He had no criminal history. He registered his guns. He had a firearms license. Much like Americans, Canadians do have a long history of owning weapons, which are most commonly used for hunting. But unlike many states in America, Canada does not have an open carry law. We have more restrictions over what kind of guns can be owned, but it's still a battle over who has more rights, legal gun owners or those who do not want to risk a legal gun owner taking their life. I mean, I have my own thoughts around it, but I would love to hear what you think. Justin will likely die in prison, 
But that doesn't seem to have stopped him from trying to somewhat have a life. In 2018, an article was released stating that Justin had created a profile on an inmate matchmaking website. His profile stated that he likes television and movies, and he was looking for a woman to correspond with. He wrote, So send me a letter and a photo or two, and we'll see where it goes from there. The disgusting part about that is that you just know that there are women out there who actually sent in their letters and their photos to him. In 2020, he survived an overdose while behind bars, though reports don't state whether intentional or accidental. While a lot of people blamed his parents and their strict rules for what he did, I think mental health issues were probably at the forefront of whatever was going on in Justin's brain, and it's something that he's going to have to continue to battle while behind bars for the rest of his life. As for the families of the victims and the community where all of this happened, they've tried to move on as best as they can, at least to move forward. But unfortunately, they would have to relive these events in 2020 when a gunman dressed like a police officer killed 22 people and injured three others before he was shot and killed by RCMP in Enfield, Nova Scotia, which is located just a few hours away from Moncton. In the end, I think it's an important reminder that while you may not always agree with the laws or the behavior of some individual people who are in law enforcement, police officers put their lives on the line every single day. And in my opinion, I think, of course, there is still room for a lot of improvement in terms of drug laws and gun reform, police training, and accountability but most police officers will risk their lives for the safety of the community, and for that, they absolutely have my respect and my thanks. That's it for me tonight. I'd like to once again thank the sponsor of tonight's episode, Man of Tomorrow. You can find Man of Tomorrow on YouTube by typing it in the search bar or by going to youtube.com slash manoftomorrow. I will also include the link in my show notes to make it easy for you to find. As for me, if you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young Serial Napper, and that's all one word. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'd love if you can give me a thumbs up, like, and subscribe. If you'd like more ad-free, exclusive content, join my Patreon page at patreon.com slash serialnapper. For as little as $2 a month, you get access to two additional Patreon-only episodes, as well as interviews, documents, and other details on all of the cases that I cover. Until next time, stay safe, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye.